Hey everybody, it is episode 26 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris joining and as always Steve is with me. Hey Steve. Hello world. We have got a very special guest today. Coach Mike Barnett from Luling High School is here to talk about lots of different things from cross country to high school, cross country and track and field to training principles and we might even get into a little woo-woo. Might with, get a with, little woo-woo. With Mike, so we're excited about that. He has, he's just off winning another state title with Luling and, and has had an impressive run of those. So we'll be talking about more on that in a second. Before we dive into our interview with Coach Barnett, we're going to be, as always, talking about current events. And there's some Memorial Day weekend happenings that kind of got overshadowed by Prefontaine that I wanted to go back on, including one result from Prefontaine itself. We had talked about Gabe Grunewald before on this podcast with some of her efforts this training season. She is now battling cancer for, I believe, the third time and has a a rare form of cancer that is now spread to her liver, but she's still competing. And so she was racing the B section of the 1500 on Friday at Prefontaine, ran a 4.15 to finish ninth in her in her heat of 10, I believe, finishers. And she ac- actually outkicked the other, the last place, the, the, what, who became the last place girl at the end. So she finished strong in that race. And so I wanted to mention her because I think NBC, to their credit, did a good job of calling her out. And, and Lewis Johnson was there interviewing her on the webcast. And so I wanted to mention her quote from that race and then also talk about she just started chemo this week on Tuesday, but it's still going to be racing at the Music City Distance Festival this weekend, trying to get her 1500 qualifier for USA's. But she said to Lewis in that post-race interview at Pre, she said, I'm still in the fight. I have treatment ahead of me this summer. I'm really just trying to hold on to running because it's gotten me through so much. And to me, it's that story of somebody who finishes ninth in a race you're not going to necessarily pay attention to, but what heart, what guts to keep competing now she started chemo will continue racing trying to get that standard so i wanted to call out gabe because we'd missed or at least we hadn't mentioned her result from pre before but an impressive and inspiring lady she is she's a hero no doubt about it and i think one of the things you know (coughs) having coached um, a number of athletes who are in the position that she's in right now where she's chasing a u.s qualifier um it's just the most un comfortable position to be in for an athlete um from my experience as a coach as well but certainly as an athlete because you start chasing in a way that is is um every workout gets sort of affected by the fact that you need to get another race opportunity to see if you can get the time that you need to get recuperation recovery from those races all these things are incredibly difficult to manage and handle and for gabe there's a threefold challenge there Number one, her body's not bouncing back in the way that it needs to because it's not healthy. It's, it's in a tough spot. And she's also doing, she's being forced to go through a regimen of things that are making it even harder for her to recuperate and recover. Number two, I mean, this is a world-class athlete. This is an athlete who was running at a world-class level who now is struggling to be a nationally relevant athlete. And yet she still keeps her chin up and is really, I mean, a- incredibly admirable in her and her the way that she's approaching this it's i cannot imagine internally how difficult it is for her to do this and i just 
I, I just wanted to give our listeners a little perspective on it's already a really hard thing to do, but to be dealing with cancer and then to be dealing with the fact that you're not at where you thought you could be or where you could be, it's just uh, hats off to her again for that kind of courage. Plus, you're also beholden to the race and the other athletes and how those races go out. And sometimes races don't go out as fast as they need to. So you kind of get behind the eight ball. She's run 412 so far this season. She needs a 409. She's going after it again, and she says she's going to keep trying. And and I guess her chemo regimen is two weeks on, one week off. And it so happens that USA's falls on an off week. <laughs> so if she makes it, she says she's going to go for it. So That's awesome. really impressive. Any thoughts from you, Coach? I think she's chasing more than just the standard. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I, I, I think she's chasing life. Yeah. And uh, she's demonstrating the power of the human spirit uh in the chase and so she's an example on a lot of fronts uh other than just uh, a standard or an athletic achievement she's uh, showing the way for people who are uh, are struggling with adversity and so she's she's chasing more than just a time standard for sure and people need to know she was a former U.S. champion indoors in the 3K. So we're talking about an athlete who's competed at the highest levels, finished fourth at the Olympic trials in 2012. So she's usually competitive, and so I know for her it must be tough feeling like her body's not giving everything it can. But we're rooting for you, Gabe, and I hope everybody listening is rooting as well. So follow along and watch her results as the season progresses. USA's for reference is at the end of June, so she's only got a few more weeks to get it done. So wanted to mention Gabe the next one I want to talk about is the Boulder Boulder 10k which happened Memorial Day weekend massive 10k I think it's I know it's top five biggest 10ks in the U.S. I know Peachtree's number one I don't know where where it falls in terms of one to five but it's in there it's a massive 10k you finish there at Colorado Boulder Stadium and you know you have the elite race which is separate from the citizens race and so the citizens citizens get to watch the elites finish there Really, really big deal, and it usually commands an elite, elite na- international field. The U.S. men did something that has never been done there, which is they won the team competition, beating Ethiopia, which was the second-place team. Leonard Career, Sam Chalanga finished 2-3 in a really close team battle, and that was, again, the first time the U.S. has done that, so that's worth mentioning. Also... On the women's side, they finished second place, which was stout as well. Ethiopian women ended up winning there, so they kind of flipped on men's and women. But we have to mention good old Natasha Rogers, who shows up again, third place there on the women's side, leading the U.S. women to that second place finish. So here we have her performing again at the highest level. 10K cross country, half marathon. So I think, again, we have more evidence that she's going to be somebody to watch. Yeah, I'm 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 stepping out on a limb a little bit, protecting her to make the world's team for Moscow in the 10K. I I think wow she will have huge huge a lot of people to try to beat, but I think the way that she's rounding into form and the race selection she's choosing, pretty amazing. So I mean I know it's going to be incredible. You think about you think about Molly, I'm sure, is going to run. Marielle Hall is going to run. I'm sure Emily Sisson is going to run. I'm sure Kim Conley is going to run. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's a, so many people I'm, that I know could be competitive in that race that I'm not Emily even... Emily Enfield. Emily Enfield. I mean, it's, I mean it's just Shalane Flanagan. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, so you're looking at... But I think that Natasha um, has proven to be 
the queen killer. She knows how to close and finish. And if there's blood in the water, that's a shark. So just just saying. So impressive results there. Anything, Coach? What do you think? I just uh, I think she's developed really well um, over time and uh, has kind of come out of quote nowhere. Uh, but she's uh, y- you're gonna have to reckon with her now, and uh, she's taken a really nice approach and uh, developed, you know, slowly. And um, I, I, I like what she's doing. It's good to see her running well after her, you know, a few years where she was kind of out of yes. the sport and now yes. back to it. So yes. yeah, so she's an Aggie for those who who yep. need to know. She's an Aggie, but yep. she did grow up. I recruited her to try to come to Texas. I didn't. I didn't have the scratch at the time. I didn't have money for her. So, but she uh, she is from Colorado originally. So, that kind of a race effort at bold in Boulder at six thousand feet, while still probably not optimal for her, is definitely something she's accustomed to. She's so, done before. Yeah. So the other Memorial Day race that I had to mention, <clears throat> also a ten k, one of the largest, if not the largest, UK ten ks. The Great Manchester mm-hmm. Run happened, and couple of Americans it was a big day because obviously Manchester the recent terrorist attacks there and and their city was recovering from that so they had a one minute moment of silence before the race so it was a particularly poignant race for the city we had two Americans lead the way Dathan Ritzenhain who finished first narrowly beating old man Lagat <laughs> by seven seconds in just over 28 minutes really fast for a road 10k and Nathan was racing in an ASIC singlet. I know there's rumors that he might be going to a Hoka sponsorship, maybe a Skechers sponsorship. He hasn't finalized that yet. But it's good to see him still running well. And, of course, Bernard Lagat. <laughs> at his age, I think he's 42 now, and doing it at the 10K, which traditionally hasn't done that well at that distance, is impressive. So those guys go 1-2 in Manchester. What do you guys think? Well, it definitely looks like we can see what – what where the guy's probably going and 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 pushing towards i don't think the marathon is in his future i, I will be <laughs> absolutely shocked if one is but i definitely think we could be seeing him line up at usa's in the 10k and i wouldn't be surprised at all um assuming he's got a time i'm not sure he does i know he has a 5k but um it would be really interesting to see him in that race and it would definitely dictate the way that race goes i can guarantee you if whether he's in the five or the ten those everybody else in the race is going to make it real because they are going to want <laughs> to take to. the sting out of them. <laughs> yes, for sure. I, I think with Lagat, uh, he's a good case study uh, for young runners uh, on how to remain relatively healthy for a long time. I think I think folks ought to take a look at what he's done to stay sharp and race ready throughout his career. You know, he's never had any big downtime due to a big injury. And there's, there's a, I think that's, um, on, I mean, that's intentional, of course. Runners want to be consistent. But he's, he's a good, uh, he's a good uh, person to take a look at and learn from as to how to stay healthy and race ready all the time. Interesting on that point, I was reading in Steve Magnus's new book, Peak Performance, which just came out this week. Mm-hmm. He talks about Lagat in the context of recovery and how Lagat takes a five-week break every year and doesn't run at all to kind of reset the system before he reboots in the He's winter. He's a Kenyan. That's where the Kenyans <laughs> do it. <laughs> so, you know, so that's a perfect example of making sure you're mindful of recovery. All right. So those are our current events. We're going to stop it there. There's much more to talk about, but we'll get to it on future episodes. 
with summer track season kicking up, we may have to just have a whole episode on summer track, but we'll get to that soon enough. Before we dive into interviewing Coach Barnett, Steve, I wanted to give you a chance to give him a proper introduction because we only gave a brief one so far, and then we'll dive into the discussion. Sure. So for a little relevance, um, I think I met, I'm actually 100% certain of where I met Coach Barnett for the very first time. It was around 1991 or 92. We're at Runtex, the former Runtex. It was at the corner of 12th and Lamar. He was sitting on the on this on the stadium seats that we had there, basically just watching us sell shoes. I, at, at first, I was like, "Who is this strange man sitting here, <laughs> like just watching us sell shoes?" And I had no idea who he was. And Coach Barnett is a He's he can talk, but he generally comes off originally initially quiet and and not intrusive. He's definitely respectful of the space that everyone has, and um, and so he was pretty. You were pretty. He was pretty quiet at first when we first when I first met him, and I think he might have been an entire week before I before I finally was like, all right, who is this Jack Wagon? Like what what's this guy's story? And I remember asking you, Coach, like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just sitting here soaking it all in. <laughs> I'm trying to soak it all in. And I'm like, are you working? You weren't even working. You were just sitting there and literally just lo- soaking it all in. Now, at that time, Runtex had a lot of heavy hitters working in the store. Um, Paul Carosa, the owner, who is the godfather of running in Austin, Texas, and cent- in Texas generally probably, um, who was always ready for a round of any kind of discussion, anything fun. And so people were talking, ideas were flowing. Um, and so at that moment, I re- I'll never forget that summer after after that, I thought, all right, this, while Coach Barnett is a little unusual and a little strange, he's also understands exactly how you learn mm-hmm. information. It's not in a book and it's not from one interview. It's from an extended period of, of, of steeping, and and understanding what's going on in a culture to get the things that you wanted. So, Coach Barnett, um, you went to Luling High School, correct? Is that I, your, I your did. the school high school that you went to? And then I believe you went to Southwest Texas State, which is now the Texas, which is now Texas State University. Right. Um, and uh, you've been there. I think you'll be starting your thirty second year at Luling. Mm-hmm. So that's, right. that's a long time for a coach and a teacher to be at one institution. Um, what's what's the secret or what's the what's the reason why luling why why luling and 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 you know i'm sure you've had opportunities to go to other places given your track record so what makes luling special to you and um tell us a little bit about luling itself um luling is 50 miles due south of austin texas just for locations purposes but give us a little insight on the town luling and why that 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 school is a place that you feel you wanted to build a team well, I, I graduated there uh, from there in 81, um, went off to school and uh, decided that I would uh, pursue the teaching and coaching route. Uh, had no uh, inclination or plans to go back home. Uh, that wasn't really what I had considered. And uh, But a job opened up just as I was graduating and my former, one of my former coaches was the AD at the time and called me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming back. And uh, the position was exactly what I could feel uh, as a teacher. So I thought, well, what the heck, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do five years, uh, get my feet wet, and then I'll be out of there. Uh, so uh, I, I didn't plan on going home. 
uh, that wasn't in the cards. And uh, so I signed on, and uh, five years has quickly turned into 31, going <laughs> on 32. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, like you said, I've had some really good offers. Uh, there's several things that, that keep me there. One, it's home. Uh, my parents are my parents are still alive, and they're still there. Um, um, and, and every time I considered leaving, uh, interviewed, got job offers, uh, I'd go visit a place and try to get a feel for it. And I just knew in my in my heart that it it wasn't where I belonged, and that I needed to stay, uh, for whatever reason. So I stayed, and uh, it's uh, it's been good good decision so far. So. Um, tell us a little bit. What size is Luling? What 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 size town is it? And then sort of maybe give folks a little bit of an idea. Many of our listeners are are becoming track fans, but they certainly don't know probably a whole lot about the A system at, sure. at, at Texas high schools and and maybe the size of your school and sort of how that puts you in the context of of other other places. Sure, uh, we've got a population of about five thousand. Uh, our our high school population is right at 400. We're just under 400. Um, we uh, uh, Luling is a uh, a poor town if you want to classify you know a town. Uh, we've got over 60 percent of our kids on free and reduced lunches. Um, we struggle uh, with the state testing. We're just right at the you know right at the line all the time. You know we're all we're we're not a Westlake. We're not a Lake Travis. Mm-hmm. You know the kids. Um, depend on the educators to help them get where they need to be as opposed to some places kids are going to get in spite of the teacher Um, so you know we've got um, a blue collar Uh, everybody thinks about the oil business there but only a few people actually own the oil wells and the oil that comes out of the ground most everybody else is support crew to help those things keep running and or their their ag it's an ag based um, you know community Um, so uh, the the school itself, um, we've had in, we've had incredible results in track and field. We've got a national record holder that came out of there, uh, Gatorade National High School Athlete of the Year. We've had five All Americans, meaning they were top five in their event uh, for the nation. Uh, we've had four girls jump 19.6 or longer in the long jump in the last 25 years. Uh, we've had a, a 25. A 24-10 jumper, a 25-foot jumper, a 23-6 jumper, a 22-6 jumper. We've had some 16-foot pole vaulters. <laughs> I mean, those 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 marks stand up in any classification. We're we're a class 3A school, so we're we're definitely a small school. We're down on the smaller end of the schools, and um, you know, but but with with our cross program, we compete against everybody. So when we get a chance, we're going to run into big school divisions each, each week. So and you. Your cross-country teams have won seven straight titles mm-hmm. last year. All right. As Steve told me, to very little fanfare. <laughs> yeah, it's not <laughs> something you read about in the papers, or might, you might you probably aren't seeing it on Flow Track or or Let's Run. So, tell us about how you got started as a runner, and then how that progressed to a coaching career to have the success you've had. I can remember as far back as uh, being five years old in kindergarten, and uh, before we could go to the, the blacktop uh, and play dodgeball, you had to run about 75 meters to get to the blacktop from the sidewalk, and the teacher would line us all up on the sidewalk and then say go. And uh, it was my mission in life to never lose that race to the blacktop. <laughs> and so I, I've been racing something 
my entire life. And uh, my brother and I used to run around the house uh, and time it. And we would keep track of our top ten times ever. And, you know, we would have a start and finish time. We would literally run around the brick house and time it and write it down on a sheet of paper. Um, if it was a foot race, I wanted to be in it because I thought I could win it. And uh, I've been that way my, pretty much my whole life. Um, and so I, I started racing, and, and I thought I was a sprinter. And then as I was growing up, I played all the sports, but... I found out my dad ran the mile in high school back in Luling High School. He graduated in 61. Wow. And I found out that he had run a, like a 444 mile back in 1960, 61, which is pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't even have a track back then. So they'd run on a path underneath the stands. And I thought, well, I can beat that. You know, I'll, I'll wind up. And I just, when I got into seventh grade track, uh, I'd played all the sports. I, mean, I played football, baseball basketball all of it but when i got into seventh grade track i can remember my junior high track coach getting us all together and asking us what did we want to run and so he said how many of you want to run the hundred and who wants to run the hundred so i raised my hand and then he said who wants to run the 200 i raised my hand (laughs) he said who wants to run the 400 i raised my hand and he goes barnett you can only do two or three events and i and i i I could not believe it i was like (laughs) you're kidding it's like I was going to run all of them. <laughs> I was going to do every event. I thought you could run them all. Yeah. I had no clue. <laughs> and so I said, well, uh, whatever, coach, you know. So he put me on the sprint relay leadoff leg and the 1320, which was a three-lapper back in the day. <laughs> yeah. That's as far as you can run. And uh, I did pretty good, uh, my first track meet. And there's something about that that just uh, lit a spark in me. And then when I got into high school, I had a high school coach that really took a lot of interest in me. And Gave me all those Runner's World magazines and Running Times magazines, and that's the only access you had to anything running back in the day, you know. And um, I read them cover to cover. I read the ads, the copyright. I mean, everything. I, I knew uh, every magazine cover to cover. And he started me out running 15 minutes a day and said, see if you can go farther each day, you know. Run 15 minutes and see if you can go a little farther. And uh, uh, something about that, uh, the individuality of it, uh, I had friends that began to kind of choose a different path, and they were kind of into the party scene, and and they were on my football team. And I thought, you know, I don't have much control over what those guys go do, and I got to depend on them as teammates. But I have complete control over my running, and no one can can screw that up except me. And something about that just really uh, connected with me. It, it, it sparked me, and I just took off from there. And so I've been running my whole life. Um, and then after my sophomore year, I just decided I'm just going to run. And I, I went, and that's a d- tough decision in a small school uh, because football coaches were on my case about, you know, you know you need, you're need you going to be the starting defensive back, you're going to be the starting halfback. And I, I'm like, yeah, but there's not much need at college level for 145-pound DB, you know. <laughs> so I just kind of went straight running. My parents were struggling to make ends meet. I wanted to go to school. And I thought I could get some help and help them out financially by running, and and so I just I just went at it, you know, and it became it became pretty pretty important. So in high school, <clears throat> tell us a little bit about your high school career. Did you you ran cross and ran track? Ran cross and track. Mm-hmm. We started the cross program um, my sophomore year, and uh, so you've been there since the very beginning. Yeah. Well, my dad ran a little cross back in his day, yeah. and then it went. You know, it went under. It went dark. There, there was yeah. no. There was no cross until <laughs> I came along, <laughs> and I had a coach who understood it, and mm-hmm. knew the importance of it for track, and so um, 
we started a cross program my sophomore year and uh I was able to run at the state meet my junior and senior year. And back then, it was two divisions. It was the big schools mm-hmm. and then all the other divisions. <laughs> you know, So it was 5A by themselves, and then it was 4A, 3A, 2A, 1A together. So I qualified to state my junior and senior year in cross and then also in class what was 2A then mm-hmm. uh, in track in the mile my junior and senior year. Awesome. And what were your P- high school PRs in the in the mile? One one fifty eight and a half. Nice. Uh, and four twenty in the mile. So you did run faster than your dad in, in high school. Oh yeah, I smoked yeah. him. He smoked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You probably never never heard the end of that. Yeah, we don't bring that up anymore. <laughs> you know, Coach, you and I were reading the same magazines at the same time. I'm 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 about nine years, uh, seven years younger than you are, but right. my dad was feeding me runner's worlds and run the runner and track and field news track and field news i was devouring it all 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 of a piece you know when we talk about running shoes these days and people talk about legacy shoes and everything else i'm like yeah you don't really know you don't really (laughs) really have a clue yeah (laughs) but um yeah so i i one thing i wanted to ask you about tell us a little bit about um you've been coaching now for 31 years and Every coach usually has a sort of a, a coach that got them into coaching, or it's very rare that you find someone who has a facility at coaching who didn't have someone sort of show them the way. Tell us a little bit about maybe one or two of the most impactful coaches that you had, or if there wasn't an impactful coach, how you got into this crazy, this crazy passion slash job of coaching. Like I said, my, um, my high school coach uh, was J.B. Mitchell. Uh, he ran collegiately at Baylor. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's where he ran. And he did a little bit of coaching around and uh, was at Travis High School here in Austin and then came to Luling uh, as I was getting ready to enter ninth grade. And uh, he, he was our uh, JV freshman football coach. And I was playing football at the time, and he was just going around and saying, hey, we're going to start a cross-country program. And no one had a clue what cross-country was. And he started explaining it, and I was like, man, that's right up my alley. I mean, I live, out in the, I live 12 miles out in the country and uh, ran around out there all the time. I thought, well, that'd be cool, just run around the pasture, you know, just <laughs> whatever. I'm, I'm good at this. So I, that's where it started. Uh, he gave me a, a, a watch that actually had a second hand on it. There weren't any of these digital things. It was just, a you know, like a a Timex with a little yep. on it. And he said, go over to the track and see how far you can run in 15 minutes. And I did that every day after football practice. I'd go over and run 15 minutes. And uh, took me took me and about six other kids to our first meet. And uh, I was like, this is, this is pretty cool. And he just took a real interest in me personally. He's like a second dad almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, just kept feeding me those magazines and, you know, just encouraging me and, and a spark lit for me. And so he was very influential, uh, uh, had a lot to do with it. And then uh, just, this, just the sport itself kind of took control and uh, the, 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 just the fun of it, putting yourself through the training and seeing the results. Um, I'd, I'd say on a personal one-to-one level, uh, it w- it's, it's him for sure, mm-hmm. uh, hands cool. down, no, not even a debate. Well, we've kind of gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves on one thing. I, I did want to make sure our listeners are uh, mostly adult road runners. Um, 
Give us a short little distillation of what the heck cross country is. Uh, many of them may have an idea of it. Some of them may even run it in run it in school. But I think there'll be a decent number of listeners who came at this sport in their 30s and 40s and and may not even have an idea of what cross country is. Give us a little distillation of what it is in comparison to say road racing or track. Well, cross country to me is is uh, maybe the most beautiful sport out there as far as um, what an individual can do but also what a team can do so the individual's not held back if he has a poor team and the team that's made up of a bunch of individuals who are hungry can really experience a team concept and so it's it's basically in high school and college you run seven guys or seven girls uh, over whatever the distance of the course is going to be 5k in a lot of K for high school kids but you can run seven athletes and your first five athletes uh, count for your team score and so wherever they place in the race is their point total you take their point total and add up the five uh, the other four and you get you get your total score and the lowest score wins and so the ultimate is to have a team finish first second third fourth fifth uh, and score 15 points that's the lowest you can score in cross country and it's it's very rarely ever done but anything under 50 uh, is going to win most meets, and that means you've got five girls or five guys that have done extremely well. They've all run up near the front uh, of the race, and so the team concept of cross country is just absolutely awesome, powerful, and it's it's enticing to kids. They want to be a part of something where they are counted on, and so it is incredibly unique. Yeah, <laughs> in really the is. fact that you have a. Uh, still an individual sport mm -hmm. while you're not and i always use the basketball analogy of the thing that cr crushes your soul you've played the best basketball i don't know if you watched the nba finals last night but good game literally an incredible game where kyrie Irving and 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 lebron james did literally every single thing they could possibly do yep. um you know and, and 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 they still lose uh, or when you know when i was in high school i remember i'll never forget was in junior high i played an incredible game and some somebody missed a free throw when we lost right um, and in cross country, that can uh, that can happen in a sense, but it doesn't happen all at once where everybody's watching it. Every right. every athlete gets to run their own race, right? And their own race to the best of their ability Correct. creates the score that you get. So it's a right. little less of that sort of there's a winner, there's a loser. Somebody's actually like you lose, right? It's more along the lines of did you really give your best? And if you lose by a point, which I'm sure you've done, I've have had happen a few times. Um, you know, you're looking for every each athlete is looking for one second they could have gone faster. Um, each the coach is looking where they might have been able to do things differently. So, right. such a really cool sport and one that I think um, that I mean I do think cross country is one of the most participated in sports in the country. Um, I think soccer overcame it relatively recently, but it was one of the most yes. Uh, heavily participated in sports and all of high, at the high school level, right. but yet it, it seems like so few people really understand it or Correct. get it. Yes. The other thing about cross country is that every runner matters, not just the fast ones on yep. your team. That fifth runner can matter as much or even more than the first runner, and that runner needs to beat everyone around them as much as that person running well, up and front. And six and seven actually matter too Big because it, they can they can what we call displace. So if you have a sixth or seventh runner in front of somebody else's third, fourth, or fifth runner, 
they push those other guys back while their points don't count for their team. They just added one more point on the other team by them displacing it. So yeah. every kid knows every kid knows that they are important. You know, well, there's we, not at a point where oh, I won't count at all. I'm out. They they still matter. Well, we call at, in Luling. We call the sixth and seventh round. We call them pushers, and we're they're trying to push the score on the other team. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to be the best sixth and or seventh runner in the entire state of Texas, mm -hmm. regardless of class, but especially class 3A because that's where we compete. So we're, we're one of the things we say all the time is everybody counts, everybody matters, everybody's important. Yeah, it's okay. cool. Absolutely. E even your alternates, you know, 8, 9, 10, need to be able to step in on a day and contribute to the good of the team. So, so talk about that. You've won seven straight cross-country titles, from what I understand, largely due to a good team concept. You've had some great individual runners, but you don't rely on that. So in addition to the points you just made, how do you really drive the team concept home? Well, I think I think maybe what makes us maybe a little different uh, than maybe some programs is that I individualize the team. I don't team the individuals. And so every every runner on every day of training has an individualized um training distance training time uh, based on their current fitness level and where they're potentially able to go and so on a daily basis they are striving towards meeting that individual goal and in the process of all of them doing that the team naturally gets better and so it's um, you know it's not one of those deals where we get together and say hey we're gonna run for 50 minutes and you guys are going to run in a pack. And then when we get back, we'll hold hands, sing Kumbaya, <laughs> and roast some hot dogs. <laughs> you know, it's uh, we're, we're, we're not doing that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that makes us a little different than maybe your average team in the, in the, in the state or even the country. Mm -hmm. that, that every single day, including this morning, every kid had an individualized training goal for today's run. And I, uh, when, and, and when each kid or athlete begins to achieve that individual goal on a daily basis, then that individual is achieving what they potentially can achieve. And then the rest of them are doing that. You, you get pretty good and, uh, you become pretty tough to beat. Um, you know, and it, it's, I, I think that's probably part of the, you know, part of the, the ma magic, magic, if you mm -hmm. will, or the secret. Uh, you know? We talk about magic a lot on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, so. I'm a big fan of magic. <laughs> uh, I love reindeer milk. We drink a lot of it. <laughs> <in Luma. laughs> so with that, though, how do you ensure that they're still being pushed? Because one of the benefits of running in a pack is that sometimes those around you can get more out of you. So in the context of an individual workout plan like that, how do you make sure everybody's getting the most out of their day? Well, for instance, uh, I give you just an example. If I've got a kid who can run a, if I got a kid who can run a 508 mile, that's his current best mile, and I've got a kid who's running a 608 mile, those two kids are completely different. So when we do say a tempo run, the 508 mile kid is going to try to run somewhere around six minute pace on a tempo run, whereas the six 608 kid is going to try to run somewhere around seven minute pace. And so if the if the 608 kid can achieve the seven minute pace then he has been challenged and he has met his current ability along with the kid who can run a 508. He runs six-minute pace. They've both achieved the exact same thing. 
It's just they're a minute apart. Do they know that? They do know that. They know straight up that that's what I'm capable of doing, and then they go chase it. And so as they chase it and are able to put more and more miles together at that pace, they they automatically improve. And so um, the only time that we'll ever run together in a pack is maybe on a long run. And even the long runs for us have certain time parameters. And so some of them will run a little faster than others. It's never a jog. You know, we don't do any jogging and we don't waste <laughs> any days. There's not a single mile we run that's just, hey, let's just go, let's go run a few. You know, there's no junk miles. <laughs> we, we don't do any junk mileage at all. So, Coach, before we move too far down the road, I want to make sure that <clears throat> I should have done this in the introduction. I think Chris was feeding me that way, but I, I wanted to immediately start asking questions. <laughs> And, and I'm also not the guy who usually leads all that stuff, so it was a little out of my water. I was a little out of my comfort zone. But I do want to give a little perspective on this. We've talked now twice about this streak of seven that you guys have, have set. In 2016, um, Texas Running, which is a, 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 a website, um, did a sort of informal survey to sort of set up a, the way some of these sites will do. They'll just say, let's get up the top ten men, boys cross-country programs in the, con- in the state. Right. And um, in 2016, they did that list and Luling came up sixth on that list. Um, you had won six straight. Uh, some of the other teams on that list, obviously, number one was the Woodlands, who I don't think anyone would ever be able to say in any other way, shape or form that they're not the number one team in the state over a historical perspective. And even right. in a current perspective, Correct. the way that they won the state championship meet this year pretty, pretty with, solid. With, with with darn near no what some people would call nobody. They actually Lulinged the state meet, didn't right. they? Right. right. So um, but. But I also look on that sh- on that list, and there's 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 Boys Ranch who has an incredible history. They also there's also um, A&M Consolidated who in the '70s had a great history. But but the other team on there that was on that list um, that was just ahead of you was Kingwood. Um, as a historian of the sport, as well as being in it for a long time, tell folks a little bit about the st- what the streak meant in terms of the team that you were sort of racing against to get that that this team. What we used to be humble, but it's the Kingwood, right? And and how that use and they're a big school, they're a five A school. How you looked at that? The, was it apples to apples when you looked at what your streak was? Were you competing against against that team to try to get that record, or were you more along the lines of we're very different, we're a th- smaller school, things are there's no way to go apples to apples, or in some sense, was there any chasing Kingwood? And if so, tell us a little bit about Kingwood. Well, I, I, I watched Kingwood win six in a row. Yep. I mean, I was coaching at the state meet while they were doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had individuals there and teams there as they were setting the state record with six. And I can remember the sixth one, and I thought, you know, that is that is truly a great program because over a six-year period, the kids that helped you win four, they're gone. And so that means new new blood had to come through in order to continue. So, and they had two brothers. They had two brothers, brothers who that were incredible. Who went to Stanford, Stanford and were the best, absolutely and, yeah, best collegiates ever, yeah. the best high school, right. the best high school kids ever. Right. And and their third kid was really good too. <laughs> yeah, he was. So I mean, they're three or four D one kids. Yep. Um, but they continued to win even when those kids were gone. And so I thought, you know, that's a record that'll probably never be touched. You know, it's just not. It's it's hard to win. Period. Uh, and it's hard to win one. And, you know, we won our first one in 1999. Yeah. And then we went 11 years mm-hmm. before we won another one. And so they're, they're really, really hard to win. And everything's got to go right and, you know, whatever. So 
Um, and a couple of those we won the streak. The streak as it's going right now. A couple of those we won with six kids in high school. That's it. I had six boys. There were no others. None. That was it. So it's like telling the football coach, hey, you got 11, win a state championship. <laughs> you got 11 kids. These are the ones that showed up, win with them. That's what we did. Essentially, that's what we did. Yeah, I can, I can give a little perspective there. I was um, – I had graduated. I was from high school, and I had run in co- I was running in college. I was just getting out of college when Kingwood started their streak. Mm-hmm. I coached Adam Daly, who was mm-hmm. head-to-head racing against the, yes. the Hauser brothers uh, back and forth and back and forth. And – um, so I got to watch those teams get started, and I was paying pretty close attention. And that was a big team. They were deep. Huge. They had a lot of guys on that team. I mean, they were – and they were farming from the junior high. Right. They were creating a, a, a culture of size and, and, right. and, you know, the coach there, incredibly good coach, but certainly was looking at, at – I won't – use and abuse is not the right term to say because he was an incredibly good coach, but it was certainly more along the lines of – I've got a lot of kids. Let's do what we need to do to get where we need to do, which right. is a luxury with right. 400 students in your school yeah. and six kids coming out for your cross-country team. You don't have that luxury. I don't. And so you ask, were we chasing the streak? I, in the minds of people who follow the sport, we're chasing the streak. Right. And that was a big deal. Everybody started talking about, hey, Lulin could break the streak. In my mind, we were chasing individual excellence with every kid in the program. Mm-hmm. And in the process of that, the street comes as a byproduct. And so in my mind, we weren't necessarily chasing the streak. We were just running. But coach, I'm going to call a bullshit on that. <laughs> and this is why I'm going to call bullshit on it. Is that going to be an E on the podcast it now? Took, yeah, yes. <laughs> it, took, it took magic to do that. Right, you know that there were there were not, that makes it seem like oh I'm you know it, it makes it seem in a little bit we are going to eat hot dogs and sing kumbaya, right? You the way you say it it kind of sounds that way, but I know I can only imagine what you're thinking, wondering if you're going to get out of the district meet because somebody doesn't somebody doesn't get their grades for that six week for that for that cycles because that you issue have, right and or somebody's gonna somebody turned an ankle and how are you going to get them there? We have somebody's got to work somebody's got to work. <laughs> Somebody's dad said, "I got to pull you out. You got to you got to work in the fields today. You got we got stuff for you to do." We, we've had that issue. So, and that's not <laughs> happening at Kingwood. That's not happening at the well, Woodlands. Well, I was going to continue. Yeah. The, the the streak is the streak is the streak, but it it really hasn't been so much about chasing the streak. It's mm-hmm. it's been can we be as good as we can be with this six or this seven or this eight? Now, if you want to compare apples to apples. Now let's talk. Mm-hmm. Okay, so seven by Luling, I'll just put it out there, is a far greater accomplishment than six by Kingwood. I agree. In my opinion, and I'm just 54-year-old potato <laughs> farmer down in Luling, but in my opinion, if I'm, if I'm Southlake or if I'm Woodlands or if I'm Kingwood, arguably the three best over-the-long-haul programs who have – over 100 kids every year, I'm thinking those programs are more readily poised to win six, seven, eight in a row than a place called Luling, Texas, uh, mm-hmm. just because of the numbers game uh, and the genetics. So you're talking genetic pool, number one, uh, and you're talking numbers, number two. So in that respect, the streak is extremely uh, special. Uh, I think historic. I think it. I think uh, seven in a row at a place at, like Luling 
uh, is comparable to anything else that's happening. No, I have you number two. In, in my state. in my yeah. opinion, you're yeah. the second. That what you what Luling's boys have have been able to do. What Coach right. Barnett, what you've been able to do. I don't think. I just think 19 straight. I mean, not 19 straight, but 19 yes. state championships. Yes. And yes. what Woodlands has been able to do, the culture they've been able to right. create there, agreed, um, is just amazing. And but I, will, but I will tell you, those coaches or and all those other pundits in the state who are going to argue could argue with you a little bit of they're racing each other. So even within the school, even within Conroe, right? I, I'm a really good friends with Coach Gibson, Mike right. Gibson, right? And um, he's the coach at the Woodlands' rival school. They're literally they're literally arm wrestling over who's which kids are going to go to their school. Sure, they're racing each other. At the state meet and at the district meet, right, and at the region meet, but right. but they're they're facing equals, and 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 someone could argue maybe you're not. Now I know a lot more. I've been a coach at a high school level for just a little bit of time. Actually, I coached in the same district that you That's did. Correct. We coached against each other That's for correct. one one <laughs> short right. fall. You stomped me, which was not not that it was hard. I was at Edna High School, so it was right. not very hard, but. Um, I do believe that what you guys have accomplished is something of a of a of a magnitude that's significantly greater than what you saw and at at Kingwood. But um, can you give a little bit more credence to why what what struggles you're dealing with beyond just the numbers issue, but sort of the way that the new how quick a culture can get built up but not sustained, right? Yeah. Uh, there is it's easy for it's not easy, but it's it it could be relatively quick that a coach could come in and get some energy for a year right but not for year after year after year right i, I you're talking about the struggles at a, a play uh, at a place why six straight at a 3a school or seven straight seven straight excuse me yes yeah. or maybe eight <laughs> maybe. and maybe nine maybe and maybe <laughs> we'll see who knows <laughs> <laughs> who knows that's right why yeah well i i i can I went to a level one USA track and field school back when I was a young coach. Mm -hmm. And I recall, and then I went to level two out at BYU. And then I went to level three up in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And at level three, it was Robert Vaughn, Peter Snell, Brooks Johnson, and Jack Daniels. Those were the presenters, okay? At every school, level one, level two, level three, every one of them emphasized the importance of philosophy. You know, some kind of philosophy and then I, I ran into uh, a guy that that I use the current system with and he talked to philosophy and I, all I wanted was all I wanted was give me the freaking workouts I get kids <laughs> to do them just give me the goddamn workouts okay I need the silver bullet and that's what all coaches are looking for. I look for it for years. Yeah, you grew up in the 80s. You I were did. racing in the 80s. That's how I, it all was, was in the 80s. I was looking for Man, I'd call Danny Green, and he'd lie to me about what they were doing. <laughs> and uh, I was on the phone weekly with Jack Daniels. I, I tracked him down at Cortland University when he was up in New York, and he would, he would give me an hour of his time every Wednesday. And I had notepads full of stuff. And then I started tracking down V Hill. I'd call him. Mm -hmm. Read his book, read all the Lydiard stuff, and it's all just it's just everywhere. It's not in one. No, it's not. It's you know, it's just everywhere. It's like nine different pieces you could read on that guy, and it's different. And so I, man, I was after it. I was like, when everybody else was out partying, you know, at Wednesday night, Thursday night, I'm at home on the floor figuring stuff out, and I'm calling people and just like almost obsessed. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out, right? So, long story short. 
it came down to what I heard early in my career. It's, it's, it's philosophy. Philosophy drives everything. And it, 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 philosophy is everything. It, it's, it's what's behind all great companies. It's what's behind all great institutions. It's what's behind all great teams. You look at, you look at San Antonio Spurs. Uh, that may never be matched in the history of, of professional sports again, what they've been able to do. It all starts with a philosophy. And so when I sat down and finally said, you know, I need to come up with something that is going to be uh, easy to remember. Uh, I want the kids to know it, not me. If somebody asks the kids, they need to be able to repeat it. It's, it's, it does no good if the coach has it and the kids don't. So kids know what the philosophy is in Luling. And that's what drives the boat. And it's all about that. We come back to that whenever, you know, there's some sort of whatever. We come back to that. So let's that, talk that's what about, drives let's it. Let's talk about your philosophy. That's yeah. the perfect segue. You've got it on your water bottle there on the backside. <laughs> Pavo yeah. system. Yeah. So what are the foundational principles to your philosophy? Our, our philosophy at Luling is real simple. It's excellence, which then... It becomes individual excellence, and the words thrown around a lot, excellence, it's never defined. And so we define it for the kids. Uh, I define it for them. And excellence is basically a quality effort against a, a quality standard. And so you learn what the standards are. You learn what the demands are uh, for your sport. And you find out where you're at as an individual, and you begin to chase your individual ability uh, along with knowing what the state meet landmarks are. What, what, what does a kid need to run the mile in uh, in order to be able to be uh, a potential state qualifier. What does the kid need to be able to run the mile in in order to be a maybe on the medal stand top 10? And then you start to design your training around those benchmarks, if you will. And so you're constantly taking uh, samples mm -hmm. along the way to find out what the fitness levels are. And then you, you, you know, you just, you modify the training uh, to allow the kid to be able to go there and you put but you put that out in front of them you don't keep that in as a coach and you say, give them measuring sticks you give them measuring sticks mm -hmm. so they can measure themselves and then you help them understand that as a team you know seven guys seven girls whatever you all need to be able to run the mile this fast and then you need to be able to run tempo runs this fast in order to get the higher end aerobic stuff so that you can then carry that over a 5k course and so if you can run that time you got a chance to be on the metal stand and it's you know it's but it's it's the philosophy is excellence, and, and that's against a landmark or a benchmark or a measuring mm -hmm. stick. And so mm -hmm. as they achieve those things daily in practice, they get closer and closer to not only achieving individual excellence, but then getting closer and closer to the landmarks that will allow them to compete at the state meet. That idea of excellence, Coach, we do still have to put pen to paper. We still have to make macrocycles, big picture ideas of what we're going to try to get accomplished in a in a season, and then you're going to break that down within your races to maybe a weekly training protocol or or, or micro cycles that are two weeks long with a one-week break. There's a lot of different ways of doing that. Can you give us kind of an idea of what that idea of excellence, how that plays out with the way that you build your athletes' structure from a summer and then what you're doing um, going into a, a cross-country season. And if there's any significant difference, maybe what you might do for a miler or a two-miler in the high school, in, in the track season. So, so give us a kind of an idea there. And then we'll talk to a little bit more. We'll try to pin you down a little bit on the Pavo system, not to, not to crucify you or anything else because we're philosophically on a different position. But hmm. I do want to hear, we definitely are probably going to agree on the way that you make a plan and how you make a plan and what, what, what points you're trying to get accomplished and how that looks. So... 
Anyway, if you can give us a little bit, that was a really big question, but maybe break it down any way that you want to. Summertime, let's talk there because that's where we're at. Uh, we focused on what most everybody else focuses on. We built, try to build a base, uh, get to a certain level of mileage based on the kids' um, ability to do the mileage and recover. Uh, do you have maximums, minimums? I, I pretty much let a kid do whatever they can handle. So if they can run a lot of mileage and uh, they're able to recover and not show any ill effects, you know, where they're slipping as far as being able to run certain runs and mm -hmm. stuff, I let them go wherever that physical age limit is. We, they all have them. And so it's uh, even the mileage levels is individualized. I don't tell the kids, hey, we're going to stop at 40. Everybody's right. going to run 40 miles a week, and that's it. If you do anything other than that, you're gone. Mm -hmm. That's 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 not in the not in the vocabulary. So, um so we attempt to build summer base mileage, and we stay. Uh, we do some time trials throughout the summer just to kind of see where we're at. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do uh, a long run, you know, every week. Uh, we do some tempo work uh, based on their current mile fitness. What's and a long run for your high schoolers in the summer? Uh, anywhere from. I, my top kids, if we're going to talk about them, they're all at different levels, but my top kids will go anywhere from 9 to 15, depending on where mm -hmm. they're at. Um, and then so we'll do some tempo stuff um, during the week, and we're, we're, <coughs> we're usually striding a couple of times a week uh, after tempo runs usually. Um, and so we'll do some hundreds or some 200s, and that's kind of the, the emphasis is to build a – really good aerobic base a really strong aerobic base and try to push that uh, system you know uh, develop develop it as the summer goes so that they're able to run faster than other people with oxygen primarily mm -hmm. so and you are you're you are you do teach uh biology and pretty much exercise physiology for high school kids, yes right? anatomy yeah. Yeah. yeah anatomy so yeah. Yeah, you know what you're talking about when you're talking about that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so I try to. So then you get into the season. Cross season starts pretty early once school starts. How does it change from there as you start to get to more race-specific work? Well, uh, uh, I'll, t I'll take a look at what the kids are doing on their tempo runs, and that's usually an indicator of, of whether or not they're beginning to have what I call conversion in mm -hmm. training. Uh, and once a kid is able to uh, run near their said potential on tempo runs, we'll transition into a little faster aerobic work right at that aerobic, anaerobic line. And we'll do, we'll start to transition into some interval work that's done right at that transition line where they begin to produce lactate. But I want them to stay on the aerobic side uh, and maximize that, that part because that's, you know, 5K you're running pretty much aerobically the whole way mm -hmm. uh, as they begin to show some recovery uh, with the aerobic intervals the higher level intervals and they're able to start recovering quicker pulse coming down and they're able to link those together then we'll start transitioning into some lactic acid we'll actually do some quote speed work um, but that's predicated on them showing recovery at the higher end with the aerobic intervals but we won't do that. We won't transition into just, quote, speed work because we're close to some big race or something. Uh, that's so you're looking at physiological milestones. I'm looking at physiological milestones, and as I see those, then that tells me their body's ready for the next tool, if you will, to put in the quiver. And until then, we stay away from it. 
so I'm, I'm looking at every kid and I'm looking for an adaptation of some kind before we begin to add something else. And that's, that's worked pretty well for us. So, so can you give us a, <clears throat> a generalized idea of uh, what Pavo is? Or are you willing to do that? I know there's a sort of secret society and a special handshake. And I'm not sure where all that stuff comes from, yeah, man. I, know. I, I, know. Know, I know you really well, Coach, and I know you're not part of all that. But I do know you implement a program that yet you're a proud Pavo school, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and so um, there's a lot of misinformation about that. And just to give all of our listeners a little bit of a heads up, um, in really early 70s, there was a, a couple of guys that got together and, and saw that they could get some pretty good team results through uh, a different a sort of creating a plan that 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 fit a model that was not necessarily something discussed physiologically it wasn't it was based on physiology but it was more along tr- creating teams and making team work work in a physiological sense this is a vast generalization which was in the 70s a very different thing from just big miles and then in the 80s people did big intensity big hard quality workouts and the pavlo system as i understand it was really aerobically based but also had a lot of threshold work seemingly what i understand about the basic pavlo system is extremely threshold based um and then culminating in um but really always focused on a team element in a in a way that's a little bit different than a lot of other programs that i understand I'm not, I haven't gone to any of the classes or any of the, the, the talks about what Pavo is. Can you give folks just a basic idea of what that might mean? Um, and then um, maybe a little bit more specific how that fits into what you just discussed with us. Well, I think I'll start with this. The term Pavo is not, uh, the term Pavo is just a name for something. It's a name that was coined in order, it, 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 it's not Pavo Nermi's training. Right, and so there's this misconception. That would be just straight fartlek all the time. Absolutely, <laughs> or, or you know whatever he did. Yeah. Uh, the 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 term pavo comes from the the admiration of the spirit of Pavo Nermi. Mm-hmm. That Pavo Nermi really Sisu. sought excellence. Yeah. yeah, he really mm-hmm. tried to be the best. You know, he he timed his runs. He chased trolley cars. He regretted when he got older that he didn't run twice a day. You know, he'd walk in the morning and then run in the afternoons, and so. It's the the name of the quote said system deri- is derived from just his mentality as an athlete, and so it's it's kind of that um, I, that mindset that has been tagged to the training system. So I think that's one misconception. Some people think, well, they're just doing Pavel Nermi training. Right? Not not at all. Not not any not even close. Um, the um, what was your second question on that? Basically, what what you're using, what is it then, generally? It was because in most in most training systems, you can point to we're focusing on this piece, right? Um, correct. And and or at this piece at this time, right? Um, and I think Pavo must be doing some things at some times, generally, always. And so. What are those? And then, and then, really, do you tweak it, or do you? How do you use it? Or is is Pavo really sort of a? This is an ethos. This is sort of we're all underneath this sort of sort of a spirit core of what this push for excellence is. And then every single program is doing a very large variations on that because South Lake Carroll, as I know, is a Pavo based system has been for a long, long time. Right. But I also know the coach there is as as is he inherited a program he 
grew up in, basically. He made subtle changes, made changes to the program, and it's different than it was at the beginning. I'm sure your system, when you decided to implement a PAVO-based system, you then made adjustments as you went along. So basically, what is the, what are the sort of the physiological principles, and then how do you manipulate it, mess with it to get what you're trying to get and the results that you got to the success that you have? Well, I think uh, I have to go back a little bit to maybe make it make sense. Sure. But like I told you guys, I was after... Uh, I was after the cheese. I was the mouse after the cheese, so to speak. And I was trying to really understand why my kids perform the way they do and how to put them in the best place possible when it mattered. And uh, I, we were successful uh, before I even started doing the system. We'd been second, third, fifth. You know, we've been the state meet every year since '91. Yeah, that's uh, that's. I failed to tell the listeners that, but that yeah. is. I mean, that's we've been a pretty incredible streak. We've been state <laughs> ranked every year since '91, and we've been at the state meet every year since '93. Wow. Um, so we've been decent for a long time. Um, and when I ran into this stuff. Uh, it, it, it just answered a lot of questions for me. And so it's very pragmatic. Uh, you do this to get this. It's physiologically sound. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's good on incremental volumes so that kids stay healthy. They're able to adapt. Uh, it it uh, gives you benchmarks and physiological markers, like you said, so that, you, that you'll know and understand this is now time, or you'll know how to troubleshoot. So if a kid gets injured, he gets sick, uh, this is what we go to now, so we're not wasting time getting you back to a fitness level that's going to be relevant when you limits need it. Limits variables? Is that a fair way to it say it? It limits variables, yep. uh, but it's extremely uh, flexible. So you're always, you're always waiting for the day's training to take place to give you an indicator of what needs to happen next. So you don't just arbitrarily boom, 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 boom. Right. That's it. It's, it's, uh, no, recovery did not take place on that run. We need another day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's uh, the recovery element that's built into it is really sweet so that you know whether or not your kid or your athlete is recovering uh, so that you know now to apply the next training tool. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, that appeals to me as a coach. I, I don't want to waste a kid's time with kind of guessing. Uh, it takes, takes a lot of guesswork out. It becomes highly specific down to the tenth of a second even on speed factors. Uh, the girl that set the national record in the triple jump, uh, I trained her on the speed side of it with this. Uh, I had a girl pole vaulter go 13 feet. I trained her with this stuff, but it was on the speed side of it. You know, we flipped things around a little bit. Um, so that's uh, – it just connected with me when I uh, went went to a clinic and began to see – you know, it's like I'd been looking for this something for a long time, and uh, I got a couple of pieces of paper stuck down in my face, and I said, you know what? <laughs> that's that's pretty dang good right there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people out in the um, Internet world have uh, very, very strong opinions about what we and others do. Uh, I find that most of those folks have never been to a clinic nor a camp. Uh, they've never – really taking the time to learn and so we're demonizing and we're criticizing something we haven't really taken the time to learn which is really uh unfortunate um but but, but, really I, but here's what i'm i'm good with uh i tell coaches all the time i think you should do what you feel comfortable with and i think you should do what you feel is best for your athletes and i am completely okay with what anybody does on a on a training level where there's collegiate high school post i I really don't care. Um, 
and and all I ask is that people are okay with what I do because. But I tell you, Coach, every every coach I've ever asked about what they do in a system that's Pavo based, they always do what you just did, which was is talk about. And this is not a crit, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying they must have a special portion of this when they teach it to coaches on how to make it really smoke, make it smoke and mirrors, so you can't really tell what the heck's going There's on. There's no smoke and mirrors. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, you're, you're obfuscating There's and no creating a, pli- a, a giant pile of, 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 of smoke in the room where we can't really tell exactly. There's no smoke and mirrors. Okay. We just show up and kick people's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a veil of secrecy. Let's just say that. There's no secrecy. <laughs> so I'll tell you what we're doing this week. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go so ahead. is that, that what you're wanting? No, yeah. I, no, really what I want is a bigger picture, but we're probably not going to get there today. I'll have to go to a clinic. Well, so, here's a camp. question. Here's a question. You said earlier, no junk miles. Right. Sometimes I hear that and I, and I think of somebody that might be in a system that's quality focused, right? But you've also talked about recovery and base miles. And so now I interpret that comment a little bit differently, which is that every run has a purpose. Correct. There is no run where we aren't specifically trying to achieve a purpose. We might be running easy. Correct. But that's because that's the purpose for that day. Correct. And but, but the easy run even has a time parameter. So it's not, it's not hey, we're going to go out and do an easy seven. It's we're going to run seven at this pace. Yep. So the recovery run even has a pace element to it. Is that specific or a range? It's, it's a range. It's pretty specific, but there is a range. So you're looking at a recovery run of, say, 45 seconds to a minute slower than the, the previous day's tempo run. So let's say you go out and you run four miles at six-minute pace. Then you're going to come back and run your recovery run at, say, 6.45, seven-minute pace. Yep. And I've talked to V Hill about this personally on the side in private, but and and he's like, Coach, you're so freaking right on. He said, Everybody in this country runs too damn slow. He said, You <laughs> nailed it. And he said, Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to say it because nobody wants to go through the fire and do what's necessary. He said, And I and I presented at the Woodlands. I presented this stuff at the Woodlands. I stood right up in front of a bunch of coaches, and I presented this stuff in front of Danny Green and everybody in God, and <laughs> and V Hill sitting right there on the front row. When I get through, he goes. Come here. And he said, spot on. Nice. Nailed it. So V Hill's one of my heroes. I mean, I'm, I'm a big V Hill fan. I love Joe V Hill. I've read his book. Uh, you know, I, I got it. And he signed the copy of it. And V Hill's about as close as it gets to getting it right. As far as I'm concerned, out there in the, in the, in the coaching world, I think he's, you know, I think. No, you know, I agree, Coach. And I, I, don't, I just know that. People who follow Coach V Hill's program, they they yes, it is it is extremely difficult. It is a it, it is. is a it is a high volume, high intensity mm-hmm. program. Um, again, physiologically based, based on his background as an exercise physiologist, exactly. And um, but now he did coach at a university, you know, Adam State, where and for many years they had they had. Dozens and dozens and dozens of kids there, right? right so right. they had 30, 40, 50 people on a team. Right. So he didn't do the same kind of specific each person. He would test them all, but right. he wouldn't be able to implement a, a range and a set protocol for each one of these different Correct. runs that you're trying to get in. And, and one of the benefits of being in a smaller school is you, and you have that ability to really know with your – eight to 10 to 12 to 14 kids in one on, on the male side and on the female side, um, really where they're at and how they're functioning. And I imagine most of your success comes from that individualization plus your heart because everyone that knows you knows you care for them. And any athlete that runs for a coach that knows they care, 
that is that is su- that's the ma- that's real magic there. And Coach Vigil did that as well, right? right? Coach Vigil right. was is a master at not talking to you for four days or five days and then at just the right moment saying just the right thing before right. you even knew that it needed to happen. Right. Um, uh, I guess I guess one of the questions I have for you is talk just a little bit about in your experience about the difference between men and women in your experience with boys and girls at the high at the high school level as you're coaching. I get that asked frequently when I coach collegiately. How did I adjust differently for men and women? And I'm interested how you do that and what sort of approaches you might take to is there a difference? And if there is, is it age based? Is it is it culturally based? Is it small school, big school? What 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 are the differences that you're seeing? between that and are there and how do you adjust that in for training and, and the results you're trying to get out of your athletes i think there's a number of differences uh <laughs> it depends a, a, a girl at kingwood who's running cross country versus a girl at luling who's running cross country come from two completely different backgrounds and expectations mm-hmm. uh i find that boys are just by nature more competitive uh girls are more social uh, so guys will guys will come out and run even if they're the only one running. Uh, it's very rare that a girl will come out and run if she's the only one running. She likes the – they want to have the, quote, team mm-hmm. thing and all that. Um, the ability, their physiology is different. Muscle mass is different. Their ability to handle mileage is different. Girls are going to – you know, our girls are going to run lower mileage than our guys. They just are. Uh, and and uh, I progress them at a different rate than I do the guys. They'll stay at a place a little longer, and when they do bump, it's at a lower level, not, not as many miles when we do bump the mileage. And so all that's all that's taken into account. But you know, I, we've been on camp a number of years with the Carroll kids, you know, mm-hmm. the girls and the guys. And um, you know, the the again, like I said, the, the Carroll girls come from a different environment, and the expectation is different uh, compared to. Uh, a girl in Luling who's, you know, helping raise their brothers and sisters because it's a single mom. You're talking you know? about mom and dad issues. What's happening in the home? All, all the time. What their have, home issues Absolutely are. have to yeah. if you're in Luling. Uh, you're talking about uh, I've got to work to help pay the bills. So, you know, there's yeah. a, there's a, there, you don't have a chance all day to focus on running. Right. Uh, there's other things that have to happen. I may need to work if I'm in Luling. Mm-hmm. Um, I may not have the luxury of going home and taking a nap after my after my hard workout, mm-hmm. you know, I may need to go and help mom with the business or I'm going to watch the kids. Mom's going to work. It's a it's a different culture. Mm-hmm. And so um, you have to take all that into account when you're when you're dealing with um, with girls. Uh, and a lot of it depends on where they're at, you know, where they grow up and, you know, whether there's mom and dad and whether mm-hmm. there's expectation of education. And, you know, uh, I've got a lot of kids who when they go to college, they're the first. Mm-hmm. And ain't nobody in the family's ever gone. Yeah. And they're the first. And uh, so it's a, you know, it's just a different, it's a different, different deal. Let's talk about the mental side of things. It's hard to get high school kids motivated. Right. And to strive for the excellence that you're talking about. Right. How do you drive home that culture? Well, it starts again with defining what excellence is for them as a runner and then you then have to begin to talk about motivation and talk about, you know, we define what motivation is. And so if, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a kid and I'm coming into the program, uh, Coach Barnett's going to tell me that first you're going to start and run a mile a day in front of me, show me you can do it, and you're going to complete it, and you're going to write it down, show it to me, 
because you log your you know log your training it's becomes kind of intrinsically fun to see what you're doing but you know we'll start there with every kid you run a mile a day and then we teach the philosophy of individual excellence then we talk about motivation those are two big big uh, things that we we talk about and we we come back and revisit them pretty often and the idea that a motivated person will do things on their own and alone if necessary. Motivated people, you know, don't wait on others. Motivated people, you know, you just go down this list of things that motivated people do in terms of achieving individual excellence. This is what people do who achieve individual excellence. And you have to, you have to teach them that because they, they, a lot of them may come from home where that's not ever even mentioned. The word excellence, motivation, it's new. It's like a new vocabulary. And so... It, it comes down to here's where you're at and here's what you're capable of. Now, let's talk about why you didn't achieve what you're capable of. Is it a, is it a, is it a home situation? Is it an illness? Is it injury? Or is it fear? Let's deal with these things, okay? It's not home, okay? So we mark that off the list. You're not sick? Okay, let's mark that off the list. You're not injured? Mm-mm. You're scared. You're scared to hurt? Yeah, coach. <laughs> well then you will never, ever get better. And so here's where you're at. Here's where you can go. Motivated people want to go there. They want to know what they need to do to get better. Here's what you get to do to get better. That's the mindset, and that's, that's, you know, that's how we go at it. So today, for instance, we had 25 kids uh, this morning doing a workout, and every single one of them had a goal pace for the workout and you give them that ahead of time they write it down they know up front here's what i need to do if i can accomplish this i know for a fact physiologically i'm going to get better and so they go out and they do it and there's this sense of pride that they then take that is not generated by me or anybody else it's generated by quality work at a standard and they walk away feeling pretty dang good so it's it's that over and over again and so then it becomes kind of intrinsic you know they they can't wait to do more or they can't wait to get to run faster so it's it just kind of feeds itself plus it's reinforcing if yes you have, if yes you, if you check the box and then you go out the next day and it's easier yes you see you see that hey if i keep doing this it'll get i'll get better absolutely the body tells you hey that thing i did that's why i'm running like this right now yeah. and so it's like well i get to do some more uh, within 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 reason you don't want to go crazy because then you're overtraining, and so you gotta you gotta take care of the recovery stuff. But it's it becomes extremely motivating for kids who one come to you. You know, a lot of kids come to you. They don't even know in Luling. They have no clue. They just sign up, and so they're either motivated from the get go. They were born motivated, or they want to be motivated. And and you can show them this, and the the ones who want to be motivated, they become motivated. And then you got the kids; they're not interested in being motivated. They don't stay very long. Yeah, imagine so they don't, coach. Th- their character gets tested real quick, <laughs> and they realize I ain't got what it takes. And uh, I think I'm gonna go play basketball because yeah. I can hide out. Right. <laughs> you know, so you know. Um, you know, one, one, th- one quick thing I want to ask. So you just talked about stringing together the work. And one of my mentors, Bev Kearney, who I coached with at the University of Texas, right. she used to talk all the time about getting athletes to a certain level and doing a work. And, uh, and with my hands, those of you listeners, I'm basically sort of stair-stepping each, each piece of, of work that an athlete did. But they would get to a certain point where they had reached the threshold of what the, of what 
the amount of work they could get in in a given time, but yet the race result that they were trying to achieve was some level above that. Um, and she used to always talk about that as magic, which is sort of where I came up with the where I where I've been influenced by this idea of magic. And that idea of magic is you can do so much work, and your system is based on doing the work and showing the kids that they can do work. Some of that will create a little bit a, a bit of magic, mm-hmm. but to win seven straight titles, you have got to have been able to lift them above that level of the work that they done plus the mental training that you did to plug it all together to get them to that point there's still a gap coach between that and seven straight high school titles how do you coach that what what what's happening there can you articulate it yeah complete 100 percent honesty there's no magic there's no there's no gap honestly they are racing at their training so we train to race this fast and we go race that fast, mm-hmm. and there, there's there's really no magic bullet. I mean, I, I can I can take a look at their training, and I can tell you this is how fast we're going to run. And there's not a yes, we get to a certain level, and you run out of time because mm-hmm. you know the season ends, and right. you, you wish well, I wish we could have got here, right? But we race with what we got, and with in in, in with keeping in mind that we want to be at this at least. Right. To race on this day. Mm-hmm. And so we work towards that and we try to progress deeper into uh, training protocols if sure. we can get there. Yeah. But when we step on the line of the state meet, I can tell you what we're going to run. Mm-hmm. And we train specifically to run faster than the state meet landmarks for 3A. We train, we try to train at 5A, 6A landmarks. Mm-hmm. And the kids know what those are. And so if you're going to be a team in 6A, a team, not the individual, but the team. Now, the individual, if I got an individual is good enough, we, we know right now we've got one that possibly could be. But we look at the state meet landmarks for 3A, 4A, 5A, 6A as a team, and we chase those landmarks. And so there's no, you know, there's not a rising above to keep the streak alive or anything. It's it's this this is where this team is right now, and this is what it's going to run. So state meet this year, I think we ra- averaged sixteen twenty, right, which is the fastest we've ever averaged as a team. Mm-hmm. But the training said we could do even faster. So we actually, I think, ran a little, uh, a little below because mm-hmm. we had an issue. Kid lost a shoe a quarter mile in the race and ran the whole freaking race with one shoe on. Had another kid up a respiratory infection, you know, should, should have been number three. He was number six. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then we go to Nike South, and we run a pretty good race down there. Yep. But, I, I mean, I, I can tell you each team, including his, this is what they're going to run today. Mm-hmm. And that's what they ran. And so it's, it's, uh, it's just we, we train to race, and we race to train. And the two feed each other the magic is in the process steve i think that's what he's saying yeah it's awesome i <laughs> love magic, to hear it the magic is in the process and the process is what's fun so i think you were wanting a week like maybe something maybe what we do in a week no i don't really care coach don't care? i really okay. don't care about okay. that i was mostly talking we've been talking generalizations with all of our folks in terms of what we're talking from a training protocol I got you. we talk big picture and sort of philosophy about all that and the things you're talking about are right in line with a good deal a bit of the stuff that that we talk about i think that what you do that's a little different from what we do at rogue generally or the way that that way that each of our coaches at rogue gets to implement their own protocols and their own programs in the way that they choose right dealing with the individual athletes as they see them 
Um, but we generally do believe that um, there's way more range than you probably have in terms of pacing for easy runs and long runs and things like that. Um, but a lot of that has to do with you're able to as much variability that you have with your high school kids. An adult it's different a, has a lot more variables, yeah, and in a marathon, it's a little bit different too because absolutely they're not facil- their facility at a five k pace. They still have to have facility yet at, at your your true tempo is, but they're running true tempo for much much longer right. pay times. Right. So there's other things that are in play here. We're talking mostly with marathoners, but right. ultimately, coach, the things that you're talking about here are, are they're really really interesting. I think they'll be interesting to our listeners as well. Um, so yeah, I got one more question because we have we have to wrap it, but. You talked as a kid about being that competitive kid that's running from the line to the tarmac for dodgeball. Yeah. What drives you as a coach today? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, The thrill of the chase. The idea of taking kids and seeing them go from point A to point B and accomplish something that most believe to be impossible is extremely fun. (laughs) And uh, just uh, nipping at the dog, you know, nipping at the big dog, you know, biting on the heels of people who ought to be kicking our ass and we're letting them know we're in the race, that is stinking fun. (laughs) That, That is, and I love the whole process of training. I love the daily grind of if we get this in people better watch out you know i just and i think it just comes from my competitive (laughs) nature you know i just i always wanted to win you know Mm -hmm. if i was going to play something i was going to beat you it's checkers you're going to lose if it's football i'm going to keep scoring until i'm in front and then we quit i mean it's it's i just uh i had this intense desire to do well when i was a kid i I think i was born with it uh it's still there uh i've got it channeled but uh i won't cross any lines to win but i will i will be thinking about it while other people are sleeping (laughs) or if i'm driving to the coast to surf i'm thinking workouts (laughs) you know and so i what drives me to this day is still just the fun of trying to put kids in a position that they can achieve something that's really special to them and when they're 40 they'll remember it and they'll talk about it when they when they're older and maybe not as in good shape and they'll remember it as a very positive point in their life and they can draw upon what they learned and use it in their business use it in their their home use it in their you know whatever they're doing so excellence applies lifelong yes well thank you coach it's clear your passion coming through the energy will probably come through the mic i know we're feeling it here in person but <laughs> it's been a privilege talking to you and, and it's clearly that it's clear that your kids are lucky to have a mentor like you in I your appreciate life, that in their lives so appreciate that so we thank you for sharing that with our audience absolutely and and for joining us here thank y'all for having me it's it's been a pleasure so that's that's episode 26 a little bit different for our <laughs> audience but hopefully you enjoyed that as we're we stretching mix, them, Chris. As we mix, mix it up, got a little deeper into the sport. We're kind of right. carrying them along. That's right. No we're longer, stretching them. No longer apologizing for it. Nope. So <laughs> thank you all for listening. As always, you can check us out on our website, roguerunning.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. We'll talk to you next time.